recorded live. Scuba Obsessive's weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. That's episode 152 is recorded live March 7th, 2013. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson, and we did get some snow this week. We got dumped on about eight or nine inches, so that makes us the snowy sunset coast of michigan and joining me this week i'd like to welcome my co-host we have jim schultz how you doing today jim i'm doing great this evening the afternoon was the pits but once i get out of work the day got better <laughs> it's amazing how that happens you know it <laughs> yeah things are much better what's what's the the saying that we always like to say that uh, a bad day diving is much better than a great day at work any day diving is better than a great day at work <laughs> And and for those of you who are wondering, you didn't hear us introduce Mac. He's taken some sort of class, and I don't know what that means, if that's code for something, but we won't see him at least at the beginning of the show. He may show up as we get going on. We'll keep an eye out for him, and if he does, we'll bring him on in. Thanks, everybody who's in the chat room. We have Stig and Paul and others who are showing up. So if you're not listening live, you're missing out. It's much better there in the chat room. And we, we seem to be hit and miss on the chat room on this time of year. There are some days it just fills up, and then other days it's kind of quiet. I need to get out there and get the, the episode scheduled. We've been pretty good other than that sickness I had a couple weeks ago. We've been pretty religious on our Thursday events. If you think the uh, the commentary is good on the podcast, you would really love the chat room. Yeah, there's, there's so there's, much that happens in the chat room that we can't talk about on the air. Yeah, there's, there's definitely interesting. Yeah, we, we, we don't... So far, we haven't had to kick anybody out of the chat room. Either that or I'm ignoring them and I, I don't kick somebody out soon enough. But uh, there's all sorts of conversations. Many times they put us to shame. So, Well, let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. First article is a follow-up of one we had a little bit earlier in the year. It says, a dive shop struggling, according to court, this one's the Mercury out of Australia, owner of a North Hubbard dive shop, which was destroyed by a fire, was struggling financially and had left the building two minutes before the blaze, the blaze was detected. And this is a Supreme Court has heard. Eon Robert Kutsky, 42, of Lauderdale, has pled not guilty to arson or related to the aqua scuba diving in Elizabeth Street, North Hobart. On April 2, 2012, the building was extensively damaged by the blaze, which took firefighters over an hour to control. Uh, let's see, a prosecutor told the court that they had locked up the business at closing time, about 1 p.m., and armed the remote monitored alarm system. Alarm company records show someone entered the building at 2.06 and left after reactivating the alarm at 2.21. The fire was detected at 2.23 p.m., so two minutes later, the alarm went off. Ms. Hartnett alleged the person who entered the building was Mr. Kutsky, and the police, in, who told the police he had gone to retrieve his personal diving gear. If it is the state's case, the fire was deliberate and the fire was caused by arson. So it goes into some additional details. We'll have show notes on this so you can follow along. His business was insured at uh, $210,000 for the contents and a further $210,000 for business disruption. 
Defense lawyers told the jury they needed to look carefully at the evidence and other possible explanation which might be consistent with his innocence. So, But that was one of those that right off the bat, everybody went, eh, that sounds a little fishy. Well, arson and rape are the two hardest crimes to get a conviction in because rarely are you ever caught in the act. However, with the, the, all the DNA evidence available in that, rape has become a lot easier to get a conviction in which makes arson the toughest crime. Sweatiness is usually what gets people uh, found guilty in arson cases. Yeah, and this one they had that he had, or he, or somebody had armed the system just that two minutes before it went off. So I'm kind of surprised that the, it, it was a remote, it, it sounds like. You had one of these little, like, key buttons that would arm and unarm the system. So I'm guessing they're they're trying to say that we didn't keep track of who had what remote, but somebody had that. One of the interesting comments was he went to retrieve his personal dive gear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the building catches fire, but his personal dive gear is safe. Well, and his personal That's not something for, you know, in his favor. I hate to tell you that. Well, and the personal dive gear of a dive shop owner, you know, I I keep my dive gear other than if I'm doing something on it in the house, it's almost always in the vehicle ready for a dive. And if I owned a dive shop, it would probably be either in the vehicle or at the dive shop. So when I had that dive event, I'd be going out. But, you know, of course, that's just speculation. I'm sure by you. by next week we'll have uh, what they've the courts have decided a verdict is. You know, I've been a volunteer firefighter for 35-plus years, and I've investigated a number of arson cases, fires, and uh Usually when the, the homeowner walks up and says, man, the house is a total loss. Good thing we saved the insurance policy. Hmm. <laughs> Usually you don't need to be Sherlock Holmes to know this is one that's going to end up in court. Yeah. Save the insurance policy. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, because if, if my house burned to the ground and I didn't have the insurance policy, I think I could remember who my agent was. Yeah. So I don't necessarily think that I need to have the policy, but I guess you would, you know, be having that out if something was up. Interesting, all those little tells that happen. And there's another one from last week. We said that divers from Windermere were getting ready for cleanup. Well, that cleanup actually has happened. And here, let me paste that in the chat room so they can follow along. I've been neglectful. The uh, a massive exercise initiated by Explore TV presenter and subaquatic member Paul Rose was aired Saturday and saw around seven tons, seven tons of accumulated debris removed from Lake District beauty spots. Scuba divers, some as far away as South America, had to contend with a water temperature not far above zero and low visibility caused by heavy silting of the lake. So it was a superb example of hundreds of divers working together to highlight the huge amount of rubbish being dumped in the seas around the globe. Helping the coordinate event was 262 scuba divers. It was, they said it was definitely the biggest operations kind in Lake Windermere and probably one of the largest ever freshwater dives globally. This this one actually might be different than the one we talked about last week. So I thought that one was a pier. said we were diving six different uh, sites in the lake from the near Old England Hotel, the Royal Windermere Yacht Club, and three-quarter mile section of the Glebe to the Windermere Marina Village. There's a mix of diving at open water and around boat moorings where people litter. So maybe it is the same one. The water temperature is 4 degrees Celsius just as cold as it gets. They said seven tons of junk removed, including a fully working toilet, complete with cistern, ball cock, and motor for a boat. Now, I'm hoping the motor for the boat wasn't on the toilet. <laughs> they said people have been dumping stuff in the lake for many years. We also found glass bottles dating back to the 1800s, 
uh, one sign camera, possibly from the 40s or 50s, with film, which I'm afraid appears to be stuck inside. There's also 73 car tires, four car batteries, tin cans, plastic, and glass. I said some of this will be used as an art project for the local school kids. I was hoping for pictures. I guess there's a couple pictures. Let's see. Anything in there too amazing? Not a whole lot. Usually just a couple of bags and a bunch of tires. I tell you, tires are not easy to recover. They seem to get stuck in the mud and they're a pain in the butt. When you go to drag them out, they're full of dirt and crap and crud. They're a pain to recover, but they're, they're good. Because they weigh a lot. Yeah, if you're if you're going in a competition, you want weight. You want batteries yeah. and tires and anchors. Yeah, weights. You know, it depends how they do when they're judging it. But weight is one, and piece counts another. Yeah. So tires, tires are good too. I know I brought up a couple of fifty-five gallon barrels one time. It took a long time to do it, but it was nice to get them out of the lake. Now, in that one, if that was weight, did they make you drain the barrels before you could count them? Yes. See, they, they did. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. Well, then Sports Chalet explosion causes nearly $10,000 in damage in La Canada business. Authorities continue to investigate the cause of the explosion Friday at a Sports Chalet in Flint Ridge. It resulted in two employees being burned. The explosion caused $10,000 in damage in the structure sporting goods store and its contents. Authorities have not reported the condition of the unidentified employees, citing patient privacy regulations. Employees were described as suffering from flash burns consistent with natural gas explosion were taken to Huntington Hospital in Pasadena for treatment. They said Sports Chalet is looking at all possibilities to assist the employees who were described as store experts. Fire officials say employees were heard about 9.59 a.m. when they were asked to shut off a gas valve after someone reported smelling gas. Explosion described as a sudden flash fire in the pool and scuba area of the sporting goods store. The arson explosive details investigating the incident, which officials said didn't appear to be suspicious. Evidence collected around the store have been taken to the sheriff's crime lab to be examined. They're waiting for results to determine the cause of the explosion. Uh, California Division of OSHA Occupational Safety and Health have also launched an investigation. You know, I, I applaud their efforts, but when you smell gas, you don't walk towards it, folks. Yeah. Every gas should have an external shutoff outside the building. Ah. You don't, you know, so you go outside the building to shut the gas off. Yeah, it shuts down the whole building, but that's a lot better than being inside when it goes woof. Oh, that's 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 good advice. Yeah, I would have. Because if I called and they said, well, go shut off the gas, I'd have probably done the same thing. Yeah. Now let's walk downstairs and turn the switch on to turn the lights on so we can see what we're doing. Well, because how many times do you think it's it's not true? Now, we we have an article that I didn't actually put in the show notes. But there was uh, over 100 calls to 911 in California because of the way the breeze was coming in. They had a foul smell coming from the ocean, and it was causing people to call thinking that there was a gas leak. Mm. So if you had heard that and then you had somebody say they smell gas, because you get that a lot. You know, I've, got, I've got relatives who they can smell anything. And so you, you, you kind of get numb to it. Somebody goes, ah, I smell gas. There's so many things that can smell like gas, <laughs> including gas. Guilty. Yeah. Aren't we all? Speaking of boom, Japanese team to remove Palo bombs. This one's reported from Australia. Team of munitions disposal experts in Japan is in uh, P-A-L-A-U. Is that Palo? Palau? I believe it's Palo. Palo. Yeah. To remove unexploded bombs lying dormant since World War II. The team intends to remove hundreds of tons of depth charges underwater in a shipwreck for seven decades. 
the Masuko Aikida from Japan Mine Agency Services said they will begin clearance work by May at the latest. They are getting deteriorated. Some of them are leaking toxic acids right now, so it's very urgent to take off those bombs. After seven decades underwater, the weapons are corroding, posing a risk to the environment and local population. They said the picric acid found leaking from the bombs has caused headaches and dizziness in humans. The cleanup team itself includes skilled ex-members of Japanese Maritime Self-Defense Force who will be wearing special diving suits to prevent them from being affected by the toxic substances said the site operation is expected to take a year and a half. Wow. Wow, that's going to take a little bit of time. Do that one at a time. But that's got to cost some money. I mean, as much as I like I a shipwreck... Be doing it, I imagine they'll be doing it pretty slowly. Yeah. I mean, as much as I like a shipwreck, doesn't there get to be a point in time where you just kind of say, you know, I've got this one depth charge above water, maybe I send that one down and I take care of them all at once? I mean, I know not, think not... at some point. Yeah, but yeah. when is it historically significant, and when is it uh, yeah. a diving danger? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure they're talking about the chemicals, which is probably what got that. But I'm just thinking that just the cost, a year and a half, it's going to take. And let's let's say you've got the minimum dive crew, which is probably commercial. What would that be? Three or four people in a chamber for a year and a half on site. Gosh, I mean that that's that's multiple millions of dollars to say the least. Yeah. Great white sharks in California getting a little bit of extra protection. A new law has gone into effect out there. Yeah, when you get done reading that story, scroll on down and look at the pictures on it. <laughs> look at the, okay, so I'm looking. It says great white, they get extra protection. Um, they said three environmental uh, groups petitioned the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. The group said there were only about 340 great whites in the northern northwestern Pacific region, making them in danger of extinction. So, Starting now, the great white sharks may not be hunted, pursued, or killed under CESA. Anyone caught harming or killing the shark could face criminal prosecution. Commercial fishing for great whites has been banned in California for nearly 20 years, but some experts previously existed for, oh, exemptions existed for search purposes. Okay, I'm going to go down to the bottom if I can. Okay, you're going to insert some uh, Jaws theme music when you do the edit here. Okay, other than a bunch of women with cleavage, I don't, uh, is that what you're talking about? Among other things, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they, uh, that's one of their, you can tell which sites are, make the most money on display ads. Anything to keep you going. Okay. Uh, moving right along. And, and we go from beautiful women to old trees. Beautiful women to old trees. Well, so this, they, they found some trees, old cypress forests off the Alabama coast. And oh. what they originally thought was only maybe 10,000, 12,000 years old. After investigating further, they de- they've determined it's closer to 50,000 years ago when these trees were oh. alive. The forest is about 60 feet underwater, about 10 miles off the Alabama coast. Samples of trees collected uh, were sent to the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory for radiocarbon dating and found that they were more than 50,000 years old. Scientists who examined the trees remarked on how well-preserved the wood was. When they cut into them, it smelled like newly sawn cypress. They said other than it appearing a little bit darker, you had a hard time realizing how old the trees really were. Amazing. I, I have seen, well, I've never seen it come out of salt water that way. But I've yeah, so seen wood out of fresh water come up and then cut, and you could smell you could smell the pine in it. Yeah, so what they're thinking happened is that these, when they died, 
were very quickly covered up with sand, and they've only been recently uncovered when Katrina came through. Mm, that would count for it. Yeah. So just the way the, the shore sifted. They said some of them were five, six feet across. Uh, they're going back and doing some more boring to get some more measurements. Wow. They, they say this may have been what the coast looked like uh, before trees were being cut down in the mid-1800s. Old, you talked about old growth forest, 50,000 years old. Yeah, that's some old growth. Yeah. Imagine what kind of, uh, you know, if you're an instrument maker, I wonder if the wood's good enough for that. Is there some, is cypress a good instrument wood? I'm not sure. I know cypress is a, a long-lasting, you know, it, it's cypress is shooting uh, wood or conditions where wood is wet and dried, you know, but I don't know. I don't know what the fine wood use is for Cypress. Now, see, if Mac were here, he'd jump on the Internet and look it up. He, he would. Well, it's our loss. <laughs> Next one up is uh, North Carolina Aquarium. Uh, and this is kind of a press release, which I really normally don't cover. But what I thought was interesting was just what they had in the tanks. So the aquarium hosts a wide variety of attractions, events to entertain patrons of all ages. Some of the main attractions include uh, a turtle, a 306,000-gallon living shipwreck exhibit populated by sand tigers, sea turtles, and a sunken World War II German submarine. I mean, that is a that's an aquarium. I wasn't aware that there were any aquariums that had, you know, I don't know, is that like a simulated? I, I'm wondering if it's a real sub. Yeah, that's what I didn't know. I, I I got that. I'm like, well, that's. I mean, even if it's fake, like it's a mock-up, unless it's like you know, like a fish aquarium submarine. You know, somebody's got one to scale. You know, a, a, the scaled-down model. But well, you know, you got to wonder. Off the North Carolina coast, there's been some submarines out there. Well, it could have been because there was like we've got uh, at the Chicago Museum. We have that World War II submarine. So there had to have been others around that were captured that, you know, not being local, I might not be aware of. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually going to their website. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking to see. Yeah, seeing if they've got anything there. Or maybe the submarine is which one it was at. North Did Carolina Aquariums. Oh, they, yeah, they, well, it's a it's a collection of aquariums, you're right. Yeah. Oh, no, maybe, well, I wonder if search works. If I type in sub, that didn't do any good. They have a cashier position open. Posting dates are March 1st through 31st. You will have a background check. Sorry about that. Hey, it happens. Well, I didn't actually find the the submarine, but I did see that they're looking for an assistant dive safety officer. And what's interesting about this position, it pays thirteen fifty one per hour, which, you know, if you're a young diver in your early 20s, that wouldn't be too bad of a pay. But they're requiring that you have your own insurance. You, know, you, you must have current liability insurance. Well, as a safety officer, that's probably like a dive master dive master insurance or something like that, or an assistant instructor insurance or instructor insurance. Yeah, it's just, God, it seems kind of rough. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess you are getting kind of okay pay, but not amazing, but then they have to provide your own. And it's one of those, uh, you can see it's a government type of position. It says it's temporary, 11-month position, no, uh, 30 to 40 hours. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to avoid paying benefits. So... Yeah, they're mandating yep. that all businesses must buy health insurance, but then, then yet they've got all these ways they can avoid it. That's your government at work for you. Okay, North Wales Scuba Chief campaigns for a new marine park, which I'm always for a new marine park. This is one I really didn't vet out that well. I don't hope hopefully it's a good article. 
says most uh, dive masters carry insurance and so do instructors. I think that kind of makes sense as a as a professional. And I think I would want to have that on my own just for my own personal liability. Uh, I would want that. Probably also have an umbrella policy over everything. Yeah. Well, this Marine Park one is very interesting. More than 8 million, I guess that's pounds. Yeah, pounds. Identifying 127 potential marine conservation zones around Britain, but most still have no timetable. 127 or $8 million just to look at them, but yet not set them up. Well, couldn't buy. Nice to know. Nice to know the U.S. is not the only government that has such an efficient operation. Yeah. Well, and I can take a map and draw little squares on it. I'll do it for seven million pounds. I tell you, you know, give me half a million a year, and I'll go dive them and tell you what's there and whether it's worth making a park out of it yeah. or not. Okay. Yeah, because it's I'll do it full time. 127 spots. So if you did, if you could do three dives a day, you could have hit multiple locations in each of those spots. So you could have you could have dove each preserved six times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't don't even opposing the zones. <laughs> a petition opposing the zones was signed by more than six thousand five hundred people. But those supporting the zones got fifty thousand signatures. You can't please all the people all the time. So just do nothing. Tell them you're working on it. You can buy more time. And you don't have to really make anybody mad by actually doing anything. You know what I I've never done. Man, I love. Them. And, and I, what I need to find out is somebody who does it. Who are the companies who do these surveys and studies? Because you you got all these. We have we have them here in the U.S. It's like you cannot do anything. They are doing like we're doing a sewer extension. You've got a road, a fairly major road. It goes through town. You're going to do the sewer run through it. They're going to do an environmental survey, which is going to mm-hmm. be like fifty thousand dollars. What the what what the heck are they doing? What's the the survey? We know what sewer is. It's shit in a pipe. That's you a hell of a lot better than that. shit in my front lawn. You can't use that word on the podcast. Yeah, it's gonna change it. But that's it's it's like what are these what are these you know is there like some butterfly or something that somebody's afraid of? Which is exactly what it is. It's excuse. It's an excuse. It's your hard earned tax dollars at work. Yeah, because I mean that's what. To, so some of what they spend in these studies, well, I think the whole project should go for. Yeah, I can I can cast some round rings and we can connect them together. Wonder why our infrastructure is falling apart. We can't do anything with. You can't afford it. The, it costs you eight eighty times more than it did back then when you gauge it for inflation. And I, I'm kind of curious. Yeah, since we got into politics out there, is uh, people from the rest of the world? What do you think about the the sequestration that we've got going on. Me, I, I, I'd like more of it. I want a 50% sequestration. Oh, well. To exempt certain areas. Pardon me? I think we need to exempt certain areas of sequester. You exempt the military. You exempt public safety. Yeah, this is all a political thing. You make them take it all out of administrative. Yeah. Well, the, the thing, and in, in, in here, we're, we could, everybody might want to fast forward five minutes, but... <laughs> <laughs> But the thing is, this the scam is that the sequestration, other than the military budget, doesn't start till next year. It's only this year's on the military. Oh, and well. it's on the increase, not on the base. And you listen to those generals sitting there whining and crying how they're having a seven percent cut. Yet everything they talked about was fifty to eighty percent being cut. How does a seven percent cut? I took a, you know, when, when the economy tanked, we furloughed everybody, management included. We were down the four days a week, and that was much more than a seven percent cut. 
So I don't want to hear them crying. Well, the thing that gets me is, you know, I used to live in the D.C. area for a while. And whenever there was a snow day, they used to come across and say, all non-essential government personnel do not report. Well, my question was, if they're not essential government personnel, why are they on the government payroll? <laughs> you got that right. It's, you're not that important. Either you're essential or we don't need you. <laughs> if we don't need you, real job. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, we're not going to solve that here. But on our other podcast, <laughs> we'll, we'll solve that and everything else. Now, yeah. if, if if they're spending ridiculous amounts of money, but it's going to be a, a free for me to dive scuba park, I'm all for it. So maybe that's what this next one is about. Well, it might be dive, but you can't do anything. Yeah. Uh, county explores the coning land for multi-use parks. Uh, more than a uh, more than half of the 1,200-acre gravel mining property in Oxford Township could potential new life to somebody as a public recreational area that will allow users to drive off-road vehicles, engage in water sports, and enjoy other activities, include mountain biking, zip lines, horseback, horse, horseback riding. Also, I believe one of the things they're looking at is scuba diving. I'm sorry. All those activities you commented on are too dangerous. <laughs> zip lining, off-road riding. Horseback riding, scuba diving? No. Well, you, you know what? I take that back. What we'll have to do is do an environmental study first. <laughs> see how these things will impact the gravel hole that we were left from when somebody dug out all the gravels pit. So we'll do an environmental study. And then we'll have to go in and make it, you know, OSHA safe for anyone who comes in there. So, you know... You've seen, I'm sure, the sign of a, the picture of a cowboy after OSHA's got done with him. No, oh yeah, around the horse. <laughs> I think I'm probably protecting from sun. Yeah, yeah padded burrs. Oh, that was before PETA got involved. Yeah, PETA said you had to have extra padded spurs. Yeah, I just looked at where this. Uh, they're talking about doing this preserved, and it's over in uh, Rich's neck of the woods, over there in the uh, southeast side of the state. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe White Star 2 could be happening. Hmm. And this next article wasn't one I was originally actually even going to read, but I wanted to make sure it got in the show notes so I can remi- remember it later. But it had a nice listing of some shipwrecks in Lake Michigan. Really? Yeah. Now, had, had have you, let's see if we've dove any. So they talk about uh, uh, the different shipwrecks. One's called the South, the 12th Street Beach Wreck. The year is unknown. It's uh, just south of the Ald- Adler Planetarium in Chicago, which it kind of sits out there in a point. It's an unidentified shipwreck is embedded in the sand. Underwater Archaeology Society of Chicago President John Bell says it's probably the closest shipwreck to shore in the area. You can actually walk to it. Shoreline erosion caused by construction of Planetarium in 1925 exposed the hull of the schooner. Estimated 140 feet long, the stern end of the ship has been paved over. <laughs> he says in a good day, you can still see the ribs. I didn't know about that. So the 12th Street, that must be 12th Street there. If you pull up on Google Earth, you'll, you'll be able to see where that is. Then the Lady well, Ocean. What's that? You think of a lot, of, a lot of shipwrecks when they were derelicts. They weren't shipwrecks. They were just derelicts. They'd pull them up to the beach and backfill against them and just let them go. I mean, think yeah. about the two ships that they found at the bottom of the World Trade Center. Oh, yeah. The point that was the waterfront. That was cheap fill. Yeah, it was cheap fill, and you dump on top of it. Yeah, if if you throw that in, then you throw some dirt on top of it, and it kind of holds it together, and you build a high rise on it. 
and perhaps some preserved corpses. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good. Uh, Then they got the Lady Elgin, which uh, sank in 1860. That was a 252-foot passenger steamer that sank. Of the 400 passengers aboard, nearly 300 or more than 300 died. So one of the, I think that that has to be one of the most uh, deadly shipwrecks we've had. Remains of ship were discovered in, in 1989 by shipwreck hunter Harry Zeich. Oh gosh, we could go do a whole article just on that one, a whole show. Mm. But that that'd be fun. Maybe that's what we need to do: do some special shows where we bring all the people who have comments on them and get them together. Uh, next one is the Wings of Wind in 1866. Ship was discovered in 1987. Within three weeks, it had been stripped of all its hardware and loose objects. L.R. Dotti, 1898. And then we had the Eastland disaster. So just a nice little article on a, on a few shipwrecks that we have. And then this last one that we actually even have in the article section. Um, talking about used scuba gear, the underwater Wakula. So it looks like a dive shop owner who's writing an article for the Wakula News. Uh, I was talking about uh, some of the things to look for when buying used scuba tanks. He says, nearly every week I see a customer has purchased a used scuba cylinder at the local yard. Sale or off Craigslist. The individual is very proud of the wonderful deal they found. And I'm often, often wishing I had found it myself. And if you're a dive shop owner, you definitely want to find it before they do. Um, but he, but uh, they go into details. So you know, head on over to our show notes. And they talk about some of the things to look for. Uh, you know, like checking if the, the cylinder was... Uh, full or empty. Uh, he talks about uh, you know tapping on the side of it with a wooden mallet and hearing if the what the sound is like. Looking for the threads and the markings. If it's a DOT stamp cylinder. Uh, talking about whether it's in need of hydro. So right yeah, now, one thing, go ahead. One thing to watch for now is some of the older cylinders because you've got some shops that are refusing to fill them. Yeah. Some of the uh, the Worthington, some of the others that uh, had the alloy mm-hmm. materials in them. Well, there there are some shops who are just going strictly age. You know, they don't care if it's hydro or not. They're not filling them, and it's it's up to individual shops to have their own policies of whether they want to fill them or not. So, if you're traveling in areas of the country where you're not familiar, you want to check that out because I've I haven't had one turned away myself, but I know Mac has, and they were for they, it can be for tanks that are perfectly legal and suitable to fill, but some shops just don't they just don't like any tanks over a certain age, and they'll fight with you if you want to talk to them about it they'll they'll try and convince you that that's a bad alloy or something but you know there are known alloys uh, and if it's not one of those then it should be okay yeah uh, paul in the chat room is saying that there's a lot in florida won't fill pre-89s aluminums and yeah there's just some because you can't say that all pre-89 now 89 you are getting kind of old yeah, but Paul, you got to remember in South in, in Florida, especially in Cape Country, they're filling to the hydro limit almost all the time anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, as long as that's well known and you're not a surprise. I mean, I'm, but I'm thinking you probably got some tourists that get a little upset. But 89, you know, if, and if I was traveling, I think I would bring my better tanks anyway. I, so far, I haven't had to worry about that. I don't have any. I think my oldest tank is a uh, probably a 2009. I got. I dive with tanks that are older than I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've had a few articles in the show here where they had some some tanks that were in the '60s that they were actually uh, pulling air out because uh, they they thought it had pure air samples from an, a bygone era. <laughs> okay, so if you're in, thinking about getting a, a used tank, so go and do that. And then also, you talk to your local dive shop. 
preferably before the fact. They may try and talk you out of it, but at least you can get some information from them. Now on to some potential cool scuba gear. And who do you think, we talked about government money, who do you think probably has the the best potential cool scuba gear out there? And it would be the Navy. Seems to be that they're a little tired of their old personal one-man submarine. So they're uh, trying to engineer new suits. Yeah, when they talk about a one-man submarine, they're talking about Michelin-man suits. Yeah, that's exactly what they look like. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, I saw the article about a one-man sub. It's like, okay, you know, thinking it's a two-man sub. But no, uh, it's a, I just said, a nude suit. Yeah, I think that's what I've heard Matt call it. They said they're they're soliciting designs for a new generation. They're looking for someone to develop a lightweight atmospheric diving suit, which means that it would stay at one atmosphere so you wouldn't have uh, decompression. That is under 400 pounds, can withstand pressures to 1,000 feet below sea level. The weight requirement still sounds pretty heavy, considering that the current generation of deep-sea suits can weigh thousands of pounds, which limits what the diver can do. i got some links, which will take you some PDFs. Uh, yeah, thousands of pounds. I can certainly see why they call it a one-man submarine. Yeah. Well, and they're they're hard to work, and I guess you can get quite fatigued moving them. Those joints, because they're usually like an oil-filled joint, uh, still can get quite tough to, to turn around. So the Navy is doing this to give their divers a boost. They said one model uses a foam coating of teeny tiny micro-bubbles to keep the limbs buoyant. Oh, I see what they're saying with micro-bubbles. They're, they're uh, probably trying to, to make the suit more neutrally buoyant by decreasing the density or coating on it. Yeah, back it's a the yep, DARPA project, and we got a good collection of photos this week. Quite a few. First one is Tony Wu. If you if you're into underwater photography, he does some good stuff. Here's what Tony's come up with: a baby baleen whale. Mm, that's very interesting. So, oh, excuse me, I said baleen. I said, uh, well, yeah, yeah. He, he calls it the boisterous baby baleen, and the the photo is a baby gray whale. Yeah, I guess it's the same thing. He says, uh, swam over the boat. Originally, oddly shaped tag of the water peaked up us and demanded our full attention. The tiny tyke couldn't have spent so much time with us as mother's not being extremely patient and cooperative, even coming over a few times to give us a good looking over. Very cool. Next up is we got some sculptures made of trash underwater. And I've, I've actually thought about doing this myself with some of the things that we pull out of the river. I've thought about taking some of the sculptures we see around the river and the river. <laughs> and throw them in. <laughs> yeah, you have to come. Everybody who listens to the show has to come and come diving with us. And when we drive out the channel to Lake Michigan, was it one of the art organizations has paid for these pieces of, and we're being generous calling them art, along the bluff. Sculpture. Yeah. It's like one of them looks like a giant trash can with trash in it, just that it's a bit much bigger. They got the giant stainless steel phallic symbol, which is about 50 feet tall. Uh, so, yeah, many of these would, would look much better underwater than they would on the shore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Many of these seem to have the jellyfish meme to them that he's got in this, this photo spread. Anyway, I, I particularly like the pair of shorts being held up with uh, two water bottles. Then he has one contraption that kind of looks like a kid's uh, yard sprinkler toy. And then this next one, if you like animals or women... Either one. You can take a look at this. This is uh, Dancing with the Manta Rays at Midnight, underwater photo shoot. So they've they've done some tastefully done photos of mantas, and then the women are in the pictures as well. But I, 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 That's a unique line of art where you have the, the models get underwater, and they've got the long flowing gowns. And 
I just noticed there are no bubbles. So how long do they have to hold their breath before the bubbles get out of the frame? And you you never see the scuba gear because this some of these they're down there. I mean they have to be twenty thirty feet down. Thanks. The big stick in the uh, chat room has done some photos of that style. Yeah, I think I saw on his website, which was in the show notes uh, from last week. If you didn't listen, we had him on the show. And uh, Anthony, who's, uh, I think we should give give him a potential congratulations. It will be congratulations this week, weekend. Anthony Tweeten, who does our show notes for us, is getting married in the UK. So if you don't see the show notes this weekend like normal, it's because uh, he had family coming into town and was getting hitched and didn't have time to do them. So it, I told him that gave him a good excuse. But uh, so you click on last week's show notes uh, for 151 and it'll take you over to Big Stick's site and you can take a look at some of his underwater photos. But you have to tell me the secrets. The pools, I can, under, I can, that one makes sense. Or I've seen some of them where they've done them and it's in 12 feet of water. But these are, these look to be deep. Yeah, and the the lighting in it is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I'd say they're almost as good as some of Steve's photos. <laughs> Steve is a very good photographer. Yeah, so we need to have work. somebody do like these, and we use a Max Rec as a backdrop. Get a bunch of models with. Well, we'd have to do it in the summer, late in the summer. Otherwise, they'd be awful chilly. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, you. Well, the problem is that you run into that catch twenty two. If you do it where it's not too chilly to get models down to the wreck, visibility is probably going to be six inches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once it once it does that flip, so or we okay. have to get a model who doesn't know enough to agree to do it, and then has no means to kill us or cut our air off while we're down there when she realizes that we've conned her into going into fifty degree water. Or we end up doing it in front of a blue screen, and then oh. we superimpose the photo onto Max Rec. Yeah, we could do that. That'd be cheating, though. Steve could do that. Yeah, yeah. Do some green screen work. So that does it for photos of the week. We have a video of the week as well, and I have not at all viewed it. So this has to be the most dangerous way Uh-oh. to do this is to have an unvetted, unviewed. But what can possibly go wrong with that? With the Harlem Shake dance underwater? Yeah. Uh, they said okay. it's a new it's a new meme. Here we go. The Harlem Shake dance. It's being done all over and even scuba diver, divers divers have gotten into the swing of things. Oh, and of course, what can what can go wrong is the 15 second commercial at the beginning, which it then halts because it's buffering. Lost it. Okay, so it's a 43 second video. I don't even see it. During Cancun. Let me read. So is that the Harlem Shake? Why am I so underwhelmed? I think somebody should call 911. I think they've got oxygen toxicity. We need to get them to a deco chamber. Huh. Oh, well, I guess we just answered our own questions. What can go wrong? <laughs> well, I'm we made it through. Suffering. Yeah. Well, we made it through that. <laughs> I don't even know if I can read that comment. Yeah, you're missing out if you're not in the chat room. Um, well, that does it for scuba in the news and all the other parts of that segment. That leaves us for diving, which we did not get any diving. We got hit by snow. Especially this week, we got socked. Now, you went across over to the Sunrise side of Michigan. Yes, I went over to the uh, Shipwreck Show. Ford Seahorses? Uh, it's sponsored by the Ford Seahorses, yes. It was a um, pretty good show. I mean, 
any dive show is pretty good. I like. I seem to think a uh, shipwreck show. Uh, there were the problem I had was I couldn't be in two places at once, and there were a few times there were two sessions going on that I wanted to see on both because you know the main session had to do with wreck diving. There was always something going on about shipwrecks. And then there were other sessions about, uh, you know, there was a session on tech diving and, you know, how to go what to tech wreck and getting into it. Uh, if you listen to uh, Rich's Divers Sync uh, podcast, he had a, a good discussion about it last week. And you know, I was, I won't say on the podcast, but some of the discussion that he and I had had over the time was the subject of his podcast, and it was training versus experience. So I think Rich has a good idea with what he's doing and would suggest it out to other dive shops. And that is uh, somebody says they're coming in with lots of experience, you know, charge them a fee, test them. And if you agree and they've got the documented dive history to prove it, you know, don't make them sit through classes that they obviously already have the skills for. So I was wondering, I I only got to to hear the last half of Rich's show and I haven't gotten back to it. So that's where the conversation came back. Now, was it prompted by a particular class? Well, he and I had a conversation, you know, a a number of conversations. One was about, okay, uh, if I want to go over to White Star Quarry and ice dive, even though I've got probably half a dozen ice dives in my logbook and been diving ice for years, uh, there's a good chance White Star Quarry won't let me go through the hole because I don't have a C-card for an ice dive. You know, and if I want to use my dry suit, uh, are they going to let me use my dry suit? I don't have a dry suit card. So it was, you know, training versus experience. If I can show that I've done multiple ice dives uh, in, you know, different water conditions, different depth conditions, uh, you know, shouldn't that count for being able to do an ice dive in a quarry or in a controlled environment? You know, when is a card or when past experience equal the experience you get from a card. And yeah, so I mean, that's, that's, well, that's, that's a, I mean, just kind of on those few points you brought up, like, like, let's take the one I think would be the easiest to say that it shouldn't necessarily be required. And I don't think, I don't think I've been to a place where it has been is the dry suit one. Cause that it would, I could see situations where like, I've talked about doing some dives in a, in a dry suit and I've been in a, I've, I've dove in a dry suit. I'm by no means going to not being doing it regularly going to say I'm a, an expert in it, but I would not consider myself dangerous in a dry suit, but I could see that there's going to be places that are going to not want to have that happen. And, and what do you do with a, I, I, I almost hate to bring this up, but when you have divers who dove a dry suit before people even thought of having a dry suit class, mm-hmm. why would you make them have to take a class? Well, you know, and I use that same logic to, okay, river diving, boat yep. diving, deep diving. You know, if I've been diving nitrox for a long time, you know, why can't I go into a shop and get a nitrox fill that I don't have a card? Or, you know, if do I need to go through a uh, equipment specialty or an intro to tech and then Tech 40, Tech 45, Tech 50, you know, four different tech classes to get certified, quote unquote, to dive to the depths that I've been diving over the last years. I mean, when I got my open water ocean card, basically I was taught to 130 feet. That was the certifying depth for the agency. Now, you know, open water is good for what? Up to 60 feet. And then you get your open water to go between 60 and 90 or whatever. You know, I, I certainly 
agree with adequate training. But you can, I believe, you can get adequate training through experience, not just from an instructor. Yeah, I, I and true. And you've, and as we've also talked about, as you, I think uh, you've got different relationships. You've got you learn it yourself. You've got peer mentor relationship, and you've got instructor relationship. And I don't think most would argue is that a a good mentor could be much better than a bad instructor. So there's a lot of overlap between the the areas. And like in your, in your case where you had that open water, I think that open water, let's say, let's go back more than 15 years ago, was a much more involved class and is the equivalent of open water, advanced open water, and maybe even many parts of rescue diver over what we're getting now or what we're doing now. Uh, also, when you look at what different organizations are doing for tech, you've got the PADI approach, which is the the gradually deeper depths, and you might have another agency where the tech course is all that put together. So I don't necessarily look at PADIs as the required. I mean, PADI, if you're going to do it, PADI, I think if you're going to do it one or the other, when you get into tech, you should try and stick with it because it's not necessarily going to, at the end it transfers, but I think in between it doesn't. Yeah. So I don't look at the the PADI 40 meter as a is basically saying if you don't do this, you can't dive to 120 feet. But I think what they're trying to do is is make the class progress and be understandable for somebody to kind of go, oh, that's what it means. Because mm-hmm. because yeah, like me, I I've you know I'm I've done open water, I've done advanced open water. I really need to do rescue, and it's just more of a time thing than anything else. But I I I, I dive to 130 feet, so I I don't need that tech 40 to dive to that depth. But I need that tech 40 to be able to teach me the skills that I need for the next PADI class. So in that case, I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of taking a little bit less literal than what the name of the class is. But I understand what your, your point is of experience. Because I think experience should be weighed. It does in, in other cases. I mean, like I, do, I, I also don't have a college degree, yet I've had 20 or 30 people or, or more with college degrees working for me. Mm-hmm. So it's somebody at some point in time says your experience and knowledge. Then when you're innovating, you know what you've innovated counts and is equivalent. You know, I, I, when I write a job description for somebody who's working for me, you know, it says or equivalent experience. So you know, a degree, you know, a degree is a little bit quicker way of getting there in some cases, but it's not a replacement. Uh, you're you're preaching to the choir. Yeah. 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 Now, so that's the discussion Rich and I have had. He had it with uh, uh, Rick, uh, yeah, Rich. He's uh-huh. had it with a couple other people. And uh, what he has proposed, and I think this is a very fair and equitable solution. He said, you know, the way he's doing it, um, come give me a hundred bucks, and I will take you to the pool, and I will give you a skills test out, and you know. Uh, We'll we'll test you to whatever level you're comfortable at, and that may mean having to do uh, you know double tank air drills and and floating a sausage uh, from depth and maintaining your depth, you know buoyancy, uh, trim, you know uh, Don and Doff uh, set of doubles uh, so you can untangle yourself and you know you know all the skills that you might have to do in a bad situation. Uh, but we'll do it under a controlled environment uh, so we can see how, how well you do. And then from that, he'll determine, okay, you pass the skills to X level, 
And looking at your logbook, you know, you're telling me you've done these. You've got a logbook to verify the times, the depths, uh, the experience, the conditions. Uh, you know, so I make he may come in and say, okay, uh, you've got the skills equivalent of a tech tech 50 or tech 60 or whatever. And I'll put that $100 towards your next level class that you take. So, you know, it's you're continuing your education, but you're getting credit for life experience that you're bringing to the party. What I like about that approach is the situations where maybe we're not as diligent as we should be on logging dives, because that's where... I, I would run into is I don't necessarily think that somebody who's log dives, I mean, because anybody can sit there and pencil whip a, a log book right. and get their five dive buddies they've, they've dove with at least once to sign off on it so they can go, hey, look at this, I've, I've got my dives. But I've also seen people who have probably 10 times the number of dives that I've got that I'm afraid to dive with. I mean, you get in the water and you're like, oh my gosh. You know, and maybe it's because they're not keeping up on their skills regularly or certain people just never develop that muscle memory and they don't need to be going deeper than 50 feet. Okay, so now I understand why you always want to go in by yourself and have me stay on the boat <laughs> and, you know, dive with somebody else or dive afterward. Now I understand. What, me? No, uh-uh. no, no, you're, it's, I, I have to say, but we, we yeah, we both, we both have seen divers that yeah. it's like... <laughs> Okay. Well, and I, I've even seen there's we've got some divers in the club, and uh, I'm, I'm not going to mention names, and I'll deny it. <laughs> but there are some's where they do the because you can look at a diver and you like are they fanning their hands? Which I yeah, you know there are times I'll do that. You know if your weight's a little bit off or you're a little uncoordinated, you you know to kind of adjust yourself, you fan your hands. But if they're doing that all the time and like bicycling and stuff, that just you just look at that and you go, you know what, this this guy doesn't have a whole lot of experience. So you know that that's why I like that approach that he has is of the of the life experience and giving somebody some credit. Uh, I do I do think maybe that there needs to also be a little kind of like a mini quiz. Because uh, yeah, what I'm always worried about, like, you know, I did the Nitrox class, which I still need to get my card, call my instructor, because I've dove on night. Because you know, how you do the class, you have to do the class, you do all the book work, and then you got to dive on Nitrox, which I think is, I mean, I'm not, I think it's silly, honestly, that not that you have to, but that they don't give you the card. Because how can I get an air fill? <laughs> so I can go through the class, you don't give me a card until I dive on the Nitrox, which is almost forcing you to dive with that instructor to go and do the nitrox of which as they talk about in the class you can't tell but any any way on that uh they should just give me my my card but i've got to fill out the i've got to fill out the log so i get my card mm-hmm. uh, you know i i like richard's approach uh, um you know i was going to work really squared um uh rick sass from sub aquatic sports is closer to me they're probably half the distance over to ann arbor uh that going all the way over to uh Ivers Inc. is so you know I was was hoping to work with someone a little closer, mm-hmm. uh, but you know the offer Rich has made uh, is something that I'm seriously thinking about. You know because if I've got to go through the full program to take three or four classes to get to you know the trimix level certification that I want to go after, right? Uh, and I could test out of two or three of those classes by traveling another hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes sense to me. So yeah. Well, I didn't. I, you know, not, I've done classes 
Well, I haven't done a class with Rich, but I've dove with Rich, and I've listened to him lecture and Rick, and they're both very good. Mm-hmm. So I don't think anybody misses out by going with either of them. Yeah, I, I agree. I, they're they're I'm, from all reports, they're both excellent instructors. I've uh, mm-hmm. been diving long time and uh, diving a lot of different. Uh, and and they're actively conditions. diving what they're teaching. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which I think is important because that, that was the, the one thing earlier I was thinking about that we haven't had a chance to mention was how many people are teaching stuff that they don't dive. Yeah, Rich Rich really brought that out in his uh, his presentation. You know, you you want when your instructor is diving for fun, what type of diving is that instructor doing? Mm-hmm. It's that type of dry diving that you should use them for instruction for. Yeah. So if if most of their diving for fun is they're either teaching classes or they're going to the Caribbean or exotic resorts, uh, then okay, go dive with them at exotic resorts. Uh, but if you're a, a Lake Michigan or North Atlantic or river or you know whatever your conditions are, are those divers dive instructors doing that on weekends for fun when they're not teaching? So I, that was an excellent point. So that was, you know, he, he really had a great presentation. And then uh, Joe, I got to talk to this uh, big stig and see the rebreathers that uh, they're introducing. It's got me thinking about reef again. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as I'm getting into, you know, really wanting to go tech because we've got so many fantastic wrecks here in the Great Lakes that are in that, you know, 200 to 250 range. That oh, yeah. uh, rebreather, you know, that's perfect for rebreather. Well, uh, and, and honestly, I think that you know my my rec goal for distance to St. Joe, half those wrecks are going to be tech depth. So I I just not that I think everybody has to be a tech diver, but I think if you're going to do a operation out of the St. Joe location, and we want to get the number of wrecks that we want to have here, it, there's got to be tech involved. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm with you there. Uh, what's keeping me away from tech is is frankly the cost. I still haven't gotten that darn dry suit yet, which I desperately I need to, to figure out something. I'm you know, I'm tempted to do mostly legal things <laughs> <laughs> now to mostly the mostly mostly legal and mostly moral. <laughs> mostly we can loosen the morals a little bit, but uh, to uh, to get that dry suit. But then I've got you got to do the classes, which. Uh, yeah. Those aren't necessarily cheap. I'm, I'm not, you know, like like you who who've got a lot more years than I do diving. I could see testing out, but I'm I'm planning on going to the class. Now there's certain classes that you're going to have to have somebody who is legendary teach it before me before I would want to go do it because I think I've dove with some of the best river divers there are in existence, and I haven't taken the class, so I can't see why I would want to fork over. $150 to take a river diving class yeah. with somebody who wasn't a legend in it. Because, yeah. I mean, quite frankly, I think Mac, if 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 you want to go on who knows river diving and has the the trophies to prove it, I don't think you can beat Mac. <laughs> no. No. So you, you put him in zero visibility and the man has sonar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's what you get with the the, the the time of the amount of diving he's done, the locations he's he's dove, being a trained commercial diver. I mean, visibility is a luxury. <laughs> yeah. And it all starts 
with knowing your gear, being comfortable with your gears and your skills, and then continuing to expand them. I mean, you think about, you know, uh, a night dive or a zero visibility dive. Uh, They're pretty much the same, except in a night dive, you can always whip out a light and have some visibility. Uh, You get a zero visibility dive. doesn't matter how good a light you've got, you're still not going to see anything. So it's all by feel, it's all by muscle memory, it's all by repetition of knowing where your gear is, being comfortable with your gear, and being comfortable with your skills. Now when you start adding some swift current to that, uh, and then you start adding some hazards that you could get hung up on or uh, hooked on or shoved under or bounced off of, you know, now you've got... uh, You've got swift water or, you know, river diving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's just, it's improving your skills and doing it. It's not all about depth. Right. I mean, you could do some river diving in four or five or six feet of, you know, determining, deter, depending on the current, uh, some nasty stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then getting the certification doesn't mean that you're all that good for it. I mean, there's a lot. And that. There, I'll look, well, I've been with Mac. Mac. Mac and I both looked at the river and said, we're not going in there today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's, it's about knowing your environment and your skills and your gear and what you're up for and what you need to do. I mean, this is, and, this is a hobby. This is fun. This is not, we're not making a living doing this. As you said, your environment, this is an area that you're comfortable with. You've dove it before. You know, you don't go diving in the river in an area you've never seen before when the current, you know, you pick a part in the river where you, you know the bottom's clean and you're not going to get snagged on something versus a section of the river that you've never seen before. And, you know, on a good day, if you could see how bad it was, you still wouldn't dive it, let alone on a bad day. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Then you, yeah. And, it's, and this is some of the stuff that you learn in a class. So we're not advocating that you don't, you go in environments that you're not ready for. That's for sure. But I, I I like the approach that Rich had, and, and I've got to get I want to get that tech done. I got to do the same thing. Jim Cleman and I have been talking about it, and maybe this is the year. I don't know. This is the we're going to get a lot of diving in. Yeah, I, I'm and I'm going to start the the year's calendar on my first dive of 2013, which still hasn't happened yet. That's driving me nuts. This is the longest I've been probably in five years without a dive. It's just we've between crappy weather and crappy schedules, it has not been working out. Hey, I have a question for you. You're, yeah. you're talking about getting the dry suit. Uh, uh, I went back and I listened to episode number one, <laughs> the beta episode. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm afraid. I haven't, I haven't listened to episode one since we did it. So, okay. okay. What did I? What did I how, what? Many, how many dives do you have on your wetsuit? Oh, my gosh. Well, let's say I bought that wetsuit at dive number five. <laughs> yes. So my fifth dive in a wetsuit was in that wetsuit that I've been that I'm diving now. So where are you now? Uh like a like I uh hmm I'm probably let's see a, a wetsuit is good for about 200 dives and that's yeah I'm probably around I'm past 300. That's what I was going to say. You said in episode one, if you could get 200 dives out of your wetsuit, you'd be happy, and then you turn around and buy a new one. <laughs> I'm a cheapskate. <laughs> I'll admit that. No, well, I, you've had, you know, it's not that you're a cheapskate. You've had to put tires on the car, yeah. a roof on the house. Oh yeah. You know, 
food oh, in the mouth of your wife and kids. No, Those yeah. things well, get in the way of diving. Yeah, yeah, here, here's the form my daughter brought home from school last week. Oh, guess what? The band is going to be honored by going to play at Disney World next year. Honored by going to play at Disney World. And it's only going to cost me. Yeah. Yeah, it's all it's it's that's that's it's over a thousand dollars, of course, for that. It's a it just happens to be almost exactly the price of a dry suit. And then my wife said, "Well, you know, I think I'm going to be a chaperone." So same thing. So there's two. <laughs> okay, break out the uh, the glue and start uh, rubber cement and start uh, you know aqua sealing yep. the dry suit, the Let's wet suit again. So yeah, we, so we, then we've got we've had braces and you know this it's just endless. So. Yeah, hey, before you buy, let me know before you get ready to do that. I want to buy some stock in Aquaseal. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think there's enough Aquaseal out there. I might make my own. I think I'm. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm thinking that like uh, kerosene, nitroglycerin, some other ingredients. I think I can make a really good bonding agent. Well, you know, we probably could take some old dry suit wetsuits and cut them up and glue patches on top of your <laughs> your suit and you know it, it may not look the best but it's yeah if, if it you might keep you a little warmer if you listen to the show and you have a donor wetsuit that you'd like to send me I'll I'll sew the leg on mine <laughs> you just go with a double layer oh man yeah yeah I'm, all right yeah that's I'm I'm yeah I I know I'm I do think I'm well cuz I have to have a, a wetsuit anyway the reason I was holding off on a wetsuit is I knew that once I went and bought another wetsuit, then my wife was going to be going, but you just got that wetsuit. Yeah, what do you need yeah. the dry suit for? So yeah, I, I've got to because like I'm I'm through how many pair of gloves and how many pair of boots and you know hoods I don't wear out though. There's some about a hood. I guess if you wear out a hood, then you're probably wearing it other places than in the water. <laughs> Uh, okay. Yeah, but the uh, every everything else is uh, yeah. So it's 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 too. So I got to do that. Yeah, I can't believe I said I'd be happy paying after two hundred. Oh, you, you said you know, hey, two hundred dives, you retire the wetsuit and get another one. Oh goodness, I I think my wetsuit is one of those. I should have like a Hard Rock Cafe of scuba diving. <laughs> my, my wetsuit should be there hanging on the wall. I was gonna <laughs> say just take it out, hang it on the wall at Wolf's. It's going to be what little Toya Jackson wears when she's doing one of her risque shows. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. So I'm going to have to. Yeah. But but there's so much stuff I want to buy. I mean, I still got you know, like like you start talking tech. So there's a whole list of items you need. I mean, not only do you need redundancy in the air, the redundancy in the valves, regulators, you know, cave line. Four of uh, everything. Lights. Well, you, you need redundant everything. Plus, you need another class or level of it. I mean, you just don't have yeah. a little finger spool. You got a you, know, you got a hundred meter spool. You're going to have there at least. And yeah. Well, uh, when you're thinking tanks and regulators, four of everything. Yeah. You know, a set of doubles. There's two tanks, two regulators, plus a subscription to the chiropractor. You know, you got to have a bailout uh, for bottom gas and a bailout for for uh, travel gas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The bailout. I mean, that's one. Of, that's one of the things. I because I've been, <laughs> I'm I'm the great friend borrowing everybody else's. And because I was looking at that when when we were listening to Rich's show, and he said what the qualifications were to even get in the tech course. And I've done a lot of deep dives, and and they're logged, but I don't think I have an, have as many as they wanted for the prerequisite. So we've we're, this summer we're going to have to hit some of those deep dives. You know, Ann Arbor Five Barge and Crane Ironsides. Here we come. I don't know why I keep dropping my Wi-Fi connection. 
my I wife and I lose it at the same time. I think my router might be, you know, yeah, overheating I, and, and just giving up the ghost. Yeah, I, I, I've got one of those, uh, you know, $30 routers that you pick up from the chain retail store, and that's what I use. And they, they work good for about six months, and they start getting flaky. Yeah. Um, and that's why for the podcast, I do both wired and wireless, so when one or the other dies. Now, on the wired side, I've probably got, you know, I've got commercial gear. So, mm. you know, you could run a small corporation off the stuff I've got for that. <laughs> well, I may have to do something else, but yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think we've we've gone and we've talked this subject to death, but I, th- I think it's one to revisit. We need to get some some others on the show and let them go. But you make sure you listen to Rich's show. He he did quite an extensive section on it, and I'm not done. I th- I think there's more to discuss. I the because what what if you're a dive shop owner. Or any business owner, for that matter, what you have to do is is look at it from your customer's perspective. What does it appear like? Because even though you may have the best intentions and the best justification in the world, there are many times it sounds like somebody just trying to squeeze another dollar out. And if I don't see value in it, I'm not paying for it. So, and we're at an impasse, and I don't necessarily need to dive at your hole or on your boat or at your resort. If I don't want to. So, and then you can say, well, you know, my insurance is too much at risk and I don't want you diving. And then that's fine. You know, I might complain, you know, I got a big microphone, but you know, that's, that's how it goes. So, you know, it's, it's just one thing to consider. I think there's a lot of improvements to be made. You know, this, this sport can be done safe and it can be effective and everybody can make money and have a good time. Maybe not. Make I, agree. <laughs> I don't, I, yeah. I don't know if there's any money in it anymore. <laughs> That's what. That's why. That's why I was getting my inner moonshine on. Yeah, I kind of teased that a few times. I this last weekend, uh, uh, I I was actually working at a local distillery packaging. Let's see what we were doing. We were doing uh, wasn't rye rye whiskey. It was uh, gin. We were doing gin. We packaged up some gin. Really, I saw the photo. I was wondering what was going on there. Yeah, yeah. I went to this local distillery, and I'll be talking about. It. I'm working on some deals with them. I got some pitches with that distiller. They're a small distiller. They started about two years ago. Uh, you know, one of those people trying to get out of the corporate world, like I hope to someday mm-hmm. <laughs> not be in the large enterprise space. And heck, if I can, any here, here's. I think my next criteria for my next job, not that I'm a lush or that I drink a lot. But I want to be able to drink at work. <laughs> you know, if I have a a beer, I don't want that to necessarily be the kiss of death. You know, I've, I you know rednecks. I you know, I, I I envious of them. Though, if you're at a job where you can have it now, I also don't want to work at a place where everybody's sloshed. But once again, so I, I I was what I did is I helped them out at the distillery. What what I did there and what was in the photos. So if you're one of my Facebook friends, you saw the photos. Uh, is we we were we did the bottling line so we had these they have a, it's a still and and the still they have they have two stills they have a gin still which what the gin still is is uh, there's so many uh, organic and they're all organic and when I say organic I just don't mean organic in the classic sense I mean organic is isn't how they're grown I mean, they're not using pesticides in the raw materials that they're getting so all their raw ingredients are grown organically. Uh, but in the gin still, the ingredients are very floral and they hang around. So they've got a still just for gin. That's one that they bought used. 
but their primary still, their main still, they had custom made. And that thing is amazing. And these these are batches. These aren't continuous stills. So when you buy your your Bricardi rum or Captain Morgan's or that stuff, those are big commercial operations and they've got big hoppers of smash coming in and it's that stuff is twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, three hundred and sixty five days a year. Those are making liquor and it's just constantly coming in one out the other and it's a formula and you know, not saying it's not a good quality product, but that that's big batch stuff. And what this place does is it's a small batch and they make it and it takes depending on the on what they're doing, it can be you know, 16 to several days, and they've got aging. So uh, so if you see the photos, you can see it. But what, what we were doing is it was already had been run through the stills, been distilled, and they were in what was essentially giant milk containers uh, that a dairy might use. I don't know how many gallons it was, you know, 120 gallons and liters. What's that, 300, 400 gallons, 400 liters? And we had this as a vacuum system, and you would put bottles in this filler, and it would fill them up. And then we would uh, we would tape the seal between. You know, you put a cork in it, and you tape the seal between the cork and the bottle. We dipped it in wax. Uh, we let the wax dry. You then applied the label, and then we hand numbered what the batch was and boxed them. So that's what we did for about four hours. And the cool thing was, uh, you got they you know, they fed us and gave us drinks. So you know what I'm. I'll do that just about any day. <laughs> well, let me know next time they're running. I'll come over and help you. Yeah, yeah. I, my wife like and I will be doing another one here coming up, and uh, next time uh, I get an opportunity, I'll I'll let you know, see if you're available, and we'll we'll drop it in and, and get it. But it's a it's an interesting place, and if you're in yeah. the area, I'll let you guys know where it is. But I'm working on some deals with them, so I don't want to give them free advertising yet. I'm trying to get them to work something where it's a mutually beneficial agreement to everybody. So you can say I may be compromised because I'll be making money or not necessarily making money, but not losing money, something that's a benefit to me. As long as they're not directly tied to the scuba industry, I think you're safe. I don't know how. I mean, the the still's not big enough to dive in. Actually, one of the the guy who's running the line, who's one of the distillers, he was (laughs) kind of tie everything together. He was an uncertified diver. (laughs) He and a buddy when they were about 18 or 19, uh, were taking a course and the owner of the dive shop, uh, was training them. And then something happened. It sounds like the dive shop's wife was sleeping with somebody else. So it was a whole big political thing. So he never finished his training, but him and his buddy had ways of getting air fills. So they, they dove for years without a C card. Mm. So he's saying now he wants to get back and get certified. I'm like, come on, give me a call. I, I know instructors. We'll get you your C card, and he's got kids about the same age as my kids, and he, he wants them to go diving with him. He, he was in the corporate world as, as well. He's a licensed electrician and decided, decided to uh, give that up to do some distilling. So oh, I'd love to make his acquaintance and uh, swap some stories and maybe some oh, yeah. recipes. Well, and, well, recipes, and also he gave me dive locations in Indiana that he was diving that, that I don't, I'm not aware of people from the club diving there. He said there was one lake. It's one of the clearest in Indiana that he was diving. Now I don't know if there's anything to see. I mean, I guess a, a clear lake with nothing in it might not be, might not be anything. Yeah, and well, uh, Tara, I agree with you. I I think there is. <laughs> She's saying I think there's money in it. And I said I think there is, and I'm working some stuff where you know what, what, I don't know if it's a dream or a curse, but it seems like everything that I've done in life that there's going to be a moment 
where every single one of those is going to intersect. It's either going to be really great or it's going to be an atomic bomb and it blows up and there's shrapnel everywhere. But uh, <laughs> that, that's kind of the story of my life. So it, it's, it, it's been fun. It was fun last week when did it. And the, and the product that this distillery is making is top notch. It was really good because it's got a, it's got a personality. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's like, it's like fresh vegetables or corn. I mean, you can go and go into your big box retailer and go and buy corn there. And you know, that's, that's grown in somebody's farm and it's, it's good stuff. But the time that it got picked and it went in a truck and it went to a warehouse and it came in and it got to the store, it, that's never as good as when you drive out to the farmer and he's got the stand in the front yard and you go and you buy it. And that's kind of the same thing with this distillery. That's a small batch. That's an ingredient. You know, batch one might not taste like batch two, but maybe there's something unique about batch one. And the yep. cool thing is that this distillery is that they number their batches. So if you like a, like say you buy batch four and you buy batch nine, and then you go, well, batch nine was good, but I liked batch four. If they've got it, you can buy it. You can look on the bottle. It will tell you what batch it is. You know, they'll dig through the warehouse, find you some if they've got any. You know, that's just this, some of the stuff. I, I think that the future of, you know, and it's an experience. I mean, you go in the place, you talk to them, you can see it being made. You know, because we've got wineries in the area, and, and it's been doing that. And I love wine as well. Gosh, maybe I'm, I, mean, I do have a problem. Uh, but <laughs> love wine, love the, the hard stuff as well. And there's just a personality to it, so. Okay, well, I think we've, we've got we're, another week where we're going long. Yeah. So, yeah, between Rich's show and my show, I, you know, if you people might need to extend their commutes to be able to fit all these in. Oh, I don't know about that. We may just have to, you know, instead of giving you a show, you're getting three for the price of two. Uh-huh. How's that? Yeah. We'll, we'll each do a show and a half. Oh, goodness. Actually, I'm, I'm looking at the bad scuba joke. I've done that one. I've done that one. We need people to send in more bad scuba jokes. Yeah, we're going to need to. I haven't given you any for a while. I'll have to do a little digging. Yeah, let me see. Maybe I've, I've, I've these these ones that I had in my list. I just eliminated them. Oh my gosh, we can't we can't go this long and then leave everybody hanging. Let me see if I've got one here. Goodness, maybe we need somebody to do some dancing, even though you can't see it. I thought I had one. I I'm usually I, I had. I'll 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 add lib. You can always cut it out. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Uh huh. It was an old couple who were both old scuba divers, but they were getting a little forgetful, should we say. So the wife says to the husband, what do you want for supper tonight? And he says, I'm kind of hungry for breakfast. Why don't you fix me breakfast for supper? I want uh, scrambled eggs and rye toast and crispy bacon. She says, okay, I'll go make it. He says, well, you better write it down or you'll forget it. No, I won't. I know exactly what you want. So she goes into the kitchen. He hears her banging pots and pans. She comes back 15, 20 minutes later and says, supper's ready. So he goes in and sits down, and she's got blueberry pancakes. And he said, I told you, I didn't want blueberries. I think that one passes. Very good. Very well. I, should have, I guess I should have said, I told you, you should have written it down. I didn't want blueberries in my pancakes. <laughs> it it works to either memory way. And it just doesn't work. You know, so edit that out so it sounds better, will you? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, well there's, a, there's a lot of magic we can work. Okay. And speaking of magic, there's a lot, I'm, I'm still doing some editing, so there's still some more changes coming to the show. 
So some some things I'm going to do. I'm I'm doing some technical changes. So we'll, we'll see it. And it. It's been a week away for the last eight weeks. Almost like my dry suit. So. Hey, well, I did download a bunch of sound effects for, on the, my my phone. Well, cool. So I can plug in some sound effects occasionally from you know into the live episodes. There you go. All that stuff works. Watch watch for it next week. Yeah. So until next week, go out there and get wet. Stay safe. And remember, we talked about it, but we didn't blow anything up in the show tonight. Tara deserves yes. She Tara deserves a free goodies. Yeah. She stuck with us all the way through. She, I don't know if if there's anything I can ship down there to New Zealand you know, that got, wouldn't be confiscated. You know, is there is there anything in the treasure chest that we can send Tara? I'll have to look. I'll have to look. I'll, I I bet I can come up with something. <laughs> One of my <laughs> presents. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll come up with something. I've I. What's funny is I'm doing a uh, one of my customers. We're doing international fulfillment and shipping, so I've been looking at international tariff laws. Oh gosh. Well, let's see. Why don't we send her some fresh vegetables or baked goods? Yeah, <laughs> I know meat. meat, meat, all these things that will set off uh, all the alarms as it comes into the country. He'll get both of us banned. Uh-huh. <laughs>